everybody. I'm Megan. I'm Jeremy. And you guys are you guys. And this is Nobody Reads Short Stories. Welcome. So uh, for those of you who are just tuning in uh, for the first time, Jeremy and I are friends who met at our at Carnegie Mellon during our dramatic writing program. And we've been living out in Los Angeles reading and writing all kinds of things uh, since then. And we wanted to create this podcast so that we would have a platform to showcase all the wonderful short stories that we love. Yeah, thank you everybody for staying safe in your homes. Like we wanted something that you could listen to while you're cleaning or maybe while you're going to work. And thank you for being here with us. Yes, absolutely. And we are currently looking for new stories. So we'll be wrapping up season one soon and be gathering uh, material for season two. So uh, please go to our website, nobodyreadshortstories.com and you'll find all of our submission information down at the bottom. We are committed to showcasing a diverse stories of all types. So um, please send us your story. We can't wait to read it. Also, before things get too interesting, make sure to like and subscribe us. You guys have been so good with that. It really helps us out. Uh, so do that right now. Yeah, we got most of them. Yeah. There's two people yeah. that were like, I'm not going to do it this time. Oh, now just one, just one. Oh, uh, oh, uh, we got that one uh, straggler. Just one straggler. All right. So <laughs> also. Yeah, you can also find us on Spotify and iTunes and Stitcher. So if you don't want to look at our faces, that's fine. I won't take it personally. I can't speak for Jeremy. But you can download our voices on any place that you would normally find podcasts. And then we're also on social media. So if you're on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you can find us there. Our hashtag for Twitter is NRSS podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about Jeremy and I's individual work, uh, we don't just write short stories and we don't just do this podcast together. Uh, you can go to MeganAMorrison.com and check out the cool things that I'm into. And for Jeremy... And for me, I do flash fiction every week. So if you subscribe to me, JeremyRayStories.com, you will get a 100-word or less micro-story delivered to your email every week. All right. Yeah, they're pretty great. I highly recommend them. Well, thank you, Megan. She subscribed. You're welcome, Jeremy. <laughs> so now... I am. I'm subscribed. Now we're ready for... Cranky. Cranky time. For those of you who are listening for the first time, Cranky is a large timer that one might use to develop their film if they were developing film pre-digital age in their own dark room. You would use this timer to time how long you had your film or your pictures in the development fluid. But since we don't live in the dark room ages anymore, we're going to use it to make sure that Jeremy and I don't babble <laughs> on too much like I'm doing right now. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready to crank cranky? Crank cranky. All right, here we go. Woo! So, so in honor of our short story tonight, which is sci-fi, we're switching genres up on you guys this time, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, sci-fi that I like. Ooh. And the first story that I wanted to talk about is this great book called Kindred by Octavia Butler. She is sometimes referred to as the grand dame of sci-fi, and she was one of the few women who were coming out in this, well, 
one of the few women who are recognized who who came out as sci-fi writers in the in the seventies, I believe. And Kindred is about um, this young woman living in Pasadena, California, not too far from where I live. And she's transported, she's an African-American woman and she's transported back to slave era Maryland. And for those of you who might not know, Maryland at the time was the South and there were lots of plantations. And my story about reading this book is that um, sometimes I go camping and backpacking by myself and I was camping by myself one night and I was reading this book and it's so well written and it's so descriptive and it scared the shit out of me so much that I was like, I had to stop reading it because it was this really intense scene where she's being chased and there was a mouse or something outside my, my tent. And I just, I just couldn't take it anymore. And so I had just had to stop reading. It's that good. Megan, I'm going to have to put this on my list too. Like my good, my good reads <laughs> list is getting so large. Oh, that's great though. You should always, you should always have a large. Yeah, list I'm of complaining books to about read. having good books. Uh, yeah. My favorite book of all time is actually a sci-fi too. So when Megan said we're going to talk about sci-fi, I was like, I could do this because my <laughs> my favorite book is The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Um, oh, you know, I've never read that one. Uh, that needs to go on your list. It's so good. It's, it's so good. Especially when people when people tell me that they have a favorite book, I feel like sort of like I have to read that book. I have read know? that book more than any other book. And every single time I read it, it tricks me into reading it because I'm like, I can't still like it. So I'll start from the first page <laughs> and I'll be like, I'm going to read like 30 pages. And every time it gets me, it's like also it has like horror elements to it because there's like two species of humans that form. And one of them is lovely, and the other one is not. So oh my good. gosh! It's so good. It, it's that... so moving. I hope, I hope that my work is famous someday, so that I can say, "Hey, let me make a mini series out of this book." I want to be able to make the mini series oh out of the book. It's just so good. Yeah, and all the movies, all the movies, they don't do it justice. Like, it makes me super sad. It's not. I, I wonder what you th will think of it, Megan. Yeah, no, I love that. <laughs> All right, well, that's another year off Megan's life and the end to Cranky Time. <laughs> All right, well, now we're going to go into Bonnie Milani's story. Uh, I wonder if Bonnie's listening right now. I hope so. Hi, Bonnie, if you're listening. Uh, Hi, Bonnie. So this piece is about giant spiders and women who kill. The Webs of Sisyphus by Bonnie Milani. A desert wind rippled the dome of the mating hall. The special silk Sisyphus's arachnid natives spun for the hall, shimmered in the breeze, even though it was well past midnight. The undulations stirred the air inside, wafting a fresh wave of sissy stink across Mati Koshtar's nose and reawakening the post-vomit taste in her mouth. The dome shimmer generated enough light for even her human eyes to spot the fine yellow dust particles that filtered through the fine strands. Any one of those particles might be a nosher seed. Any one of those particles could house death. Maudie risked a furtive glance at the sissy males working along the ceiling. They were high enough up to disguise the fact that the smallest of them stood a good eight feet high on all eight legs. 
Their fuzzy black bodies cast eight-legged shadows across the rainbows. Velvety antennae probed the dome's weaves for flaws. Razor-sharp pincers caught loose threads. Matched sets of hand legs rewove the threads into the waft of the dome. Where threads were broken, the males swung their abdomens under their back forelegs and spun repairs. All but one, the groom for tomorrow's mating ceremony. He was easy to pick out. Hyped as he was on the sissy equivalent of testosterone, the hatchwork pattern on his back and leg joints fairly pulsed with iridescent green mating colors. He wouldn't have cared less about the deadly possibilities of the dust floating past him. He was too busy practicing his mating dance. And still, Dr. V droned on. The only woman in the whole human commonwealth fool enough to volunteer for assignment to Sisyphus knelt on the mating platform beside Maudie. In profile, her gaunt features were sculpted in adoration as she laid on Sally's praises. The fanatic's glow lent color to her sunken cheeks, softened the harsh lines of the woman's cheeks. Here, in her place of worship, Dr. Ashita Varenchendra was almost beautiful. Trapped on her knees next to the arachnologist, Maudie dug fingers into her skin to stop herself from clapping them over her mouth and screaming, Oh God, why couldn't the stupid old woman just shut up? Their ship was scheduled to leave in six hours. Dr. V still had to upload that reprieve into Maudie's personal records, and erasing a criminal record like Maudie's needed time. Maudie, Dr. Ashita Virachendra jabbed a bony elbow into Maudie's ribs. Pay attention! The vocoder she wore around her throat translated the command into the clicking sissy language. I am! Damn the old stick. What in hell did the silly old spider lover want now? But Dr. V's tight-lipped moo promised trouble, and Maudie couldn't risk annoying her, not until that reprieve was finalized in her records. Uh, but maybe not enough, Maudie amended, and made it sound sincere. She remembered belatedly to switch to Sissy. Here in her own nest, Sally did not use a vocoder. Apologies, what did I miss? Your nest mother would set your future for you, speaker of language. The monster they called Sally used her razor-edged pincers to click the word out. She squatted atop the, cleaning, the gleaming hillock of eggs she laid last year. She paused in her examination of one egg to bring her forebody down to near human height. The move brought the pair of foot-long fangs that comprised her face low enough to make Maudie's nose sting with the acid smell of their venom. Maudie found herself staring at her own reflection in the lidless surfaces of the two large black eyes that sat on either side of the fangs. A smaller pair of eyes just below copied the reflection. An old, cold habit, she assessed her marketability. Maudie looked like all... Maudie looked all right, she decided. Her face was thinner, but still heart-shaped and wrinkle-free. Her cropped hair still dark above the long-lashed eyes that had enchanted poor, stupid Walter. She'd do all right back out in the world, she decided, as long as men still thought with their dicks. A series of clicks from Sally snapped Maudie's attention back to the present. I would know what kind of female allows another to choose her nest. Sally said. 
Her back four legs stirred the eggs beneath her almost absently, making sure the centermost eggs were pulled up and exposed to the air. With her front four hand legs, she selected another of the exposed eggs for detailed consideration. Maudie suppressed a shudder as the baby sissy within it squirmed into a more comfortable position. No one else chooses my nest, O oh great mother. Alone among the women stuck in penal colony four, Maudie could answer in the sissy's clicking, clacking, hissing language without needing a vocoder. It was one of the reasons Dr. V had promoted her to assistant despite her convict status. That is a truth my nest mother knows well. Not that it mattered whether the old biddy did or not. Six more hours, that's all she had left. She'd survived nine years on this nightmare world. She'd spent the last four of those years making herself just as indispensable to Dr. V as that eight-legged bastard Kurtz. It'd been a slog, but worth it. Dr. V had finally got her reprieve approved. Monty put her lips on lockdown and hid her whitening knuckles in the crook of her knees. Once Dr. V logged in and confirmed that document in her records, she was a free woman again. She could take another six hours. She could play the game for a few hours more. So you rebuke, seeker of humans? Sally lifted her fangs, exposing the quivering mouth parts beneath. Sissy sign of amusement. Oh, shit. She must have missed something really serious. Maudie did a quick mental review of their farewell interview so far. Nothing unusual in it she could think of, but then she really hadn't been paying close attention. Stupid move to let her mind wander. Ticking off Dr. V would jeopardize her reprieve. Ticking off Sally could jeopardize her life. She'd just have to play it sissy style and hope she guessed right. It is my decision to leave, oh great mother, Maudie clicked, and prayed Dr. V wouldn't butt in with a correction. I have been too long away from my own nest. This is a truth of my knowing. A nest too long ignored is a nest destroyed. Sally replaced the egg she'd been examining. Her antennae perked as she chose another one and began a fresh examination. Among all your females, I have found no other who understands these truths. Often, I have wondered how you could leave your nest unattended. Surely another female has claimed it by now. No, I left it well protected, Monty said. That was a hard and fast truth. Her stolen millions were as well protected as a biopat secured account on the R&R world of Duract could make them. She didn't really like Duract, a world that made a virtue of vice, but she could live the life she deserved there and no one would question it, not with a credit account as fat as she got from Walter. Or perhaps your territory is too poor to attract another female. Sally quirked an antenna. Had she been sissy herself, that crack would have had Maudie's stinging hairs on end and her fangs bared. I'm sure many females have tried to claim it. Maudie spread her arms, elbows out, and thumbs up in the human version of a sissy smile. I promise you they failed. If the eight-legged bitch thought she could bait her, she had another thing coming. Maudie married Walter for his money, and she killed him for it. Nobody was getting their paws on her riches. Not that Walter's brother, the judge, hadn't tried. Her brother-in-law knew that poor, stupid Walter didn't give a gram of mean, didn't have a gram of meanness in his whole flabby body. 
The judge thought she'd give up Walter's fortune to avoid the living death that was Sisyphus. He was wrong. Maudie planned on making him regret that sentence before she let him die. Impressive. Sally chose another egg. She rolled it slowly between her hand legs, pincers snapping dangerously. Female, she clicked and sank her fangs into it. Conversation waited while she slurped up the remains of her unborn daughter. She tossed the collapsed shell aside and perked antennae toward Maudie. Is this why you have not already challenged your nest mother? I have often wondered why I have not seen a human status challenge before. Do you fight only in private? Challenge? Maudie twisted around to frown at Dr. V. Okay, I confess. I have let my mind wander farther than I thought. What did I miss? Oh, I thought you were taking it too well, Dr. V sighed. Taking what? I can't let you leave with me. You have to stay here. Stay? Maudie's throat closed. One of us has to, my dear, for the mating ceremony, you know. Fine, then you stay. I can't. The university won't let me. Dr. V sighed, disappointment etched in the sound. I've tried and tried to convince the xenobiology chair to grant me another extension, but they just won't do it. So I have to leave tomorrow. But this is the first time any sissy matriarch has agreed to allow a human to record her mating and hatching ceremony. That's much too important an event to ignore. It must be recorded. And that leaves you. She forced a smile, but the jealousy shone through. You'll be the one to make history. Hell, I will. Maudie noted the way the fat eggs beneath Sally quivered. Her stomach threatened to rise. Oh, no. She was most certainly not staying. Those babies would be out of their shells by the time Sally finished mating tomorrow. She would then eat the horny fuel fool, practicing his moves above, and use his liquefied remains to feed her babies. And once they'd finished scarfing up hubby, they'd turn their baby-sharp pincers on anything else that couldn't get out of the way fast enough. Every fiber in Maudie's body shivered at the thought of trying to outrun the little monsters. Sally's pincers spread wide, then snapped together. The monster was laughing. It is as I have said. There will be a challenge. Sally turned the laugh on Dr. V. Your daughter is younger and stronger than you, Dr. Virachendra, and she plans a nest of her own. I think you will be defeated. I think not, Dr. V's expression went stony. I have weapons, my daughter fears. She knows how important is the honor you offer us. She will do her duty. The mix of terror and frustration drove Maudie to inspiration. A Kurtz can handle it, and you won't have to worry about him stealing your thunder either. Kurtz? That is a male name? Sally Antenne perked in curiosity. Above Sally's head, a dozen sets of fuzzy antennae shot upward, upright. Sally raised her body on her back four to peer up at them. The antennae owners scattered. He's brilliant, great mother, Maudie said. He handles all of Dr. V's communications with her home nest. He, ow! She broke off at the savage pinch Dr. V dug into her side. You have trained a male to female duties? This is a new knowledge. Sally stretched velvet antennae. 
down to tap Maudie's head and throat, probing for pheromones or scent or whatever it was an arachnid species picked up with those things. Sally turned her antennae on Dr. V. You have not told me about this male before. Why is this? The look Dr. V shot Maudie carried more venom than Sally's fangs, deadlier too. Dr. V could still block her reprieve. Maudie tried to swallow and failed. I feared to offend you, O oh great mother. Unlike Maudie, Dr. V had to rely on a vocoder. Unlike Maudie, too, she imitated the male sissy's suck-up postures. That was one of the reasons Sally had so little use for her, though Maudie had never told Dr. V so. An intelligent male. Sally shifted position to contemplate the brilliant male dancing on the ceiling. I must consider this knowledge. She dismissed them with the flip of an antenna. Our talk is ended. I will speak with the survivor tomorrow. Dr. V bowed, arms out, hands dangling loose as she backed away from the platform. That was another reason Sally disregarded her. Silly old stick still didn't know enough not to abase herself. No dominatrix ever respected a cringer. They paused outside the dome to let their eyes adjust to Sisyphus's peripatetic moonlight. The planet's three moons followed close, cringe-inducing orbits, allowing Sisyphus's gravitational tug to whip them into and out of sight like playful squirrels. Silver light flared as each moon whipped by, only to leave utter darkness in its wake until the next moon shot past overhead. The on-again, off-again light sporadically popped the long silken path to the colony entrance gate into sight before vanishing again. In its aftermath, the luminescent yellow trim on the flagstones wavered treacherously in the dark. With a snort, Maudie unholstered her gun and checked its charge. It had stunned more than one visiting admin to encounter armed, armed convicts, but Warden was no more suicidal than she was stupid. True killers like Maudie were the exception here. Technically, CISPIN-4 was a correctional institution, a place where women were sent to correct their politics or preference in sexual partners or rethink their choice of relatives. Technically, Sisyphus wasn't a death sentence. At least some of the women here were supposed to live long enough to go back home and serve as an object lesson to the foolish. A glow on the horizon signaled the approach of another moon. The hint of light was enough for her to see that Dr. V had finally got all her various instruments distributed around her body. Maudie jerked her chin at the path to the colony. You ready for the run, Dr. V? Not yet. Why, we forget something in there? Maudie caught herself jittering. Is there, if there was one sure way to commit suicide on Sisyphus, it was to stand still near a patch of sand, and they were standing at the edge of a whole damn plain. One grain of sand on the surrounding plain was a potential seed for Sisyphus's unique carnivorous plants. Noshers homed in on moisture. Sweat, spit, even body heat generated enough residual moisture in this arid climate to attract the vicious plant's attention. A nosher seedling could reach full seven-foot height in less than three minutes. And once a nosher got its fangs into you, breathing was academic. I didn't forget, but you seem to have done so. Dr. V puffed out her scrawny chest. 
Trusting old fool that she was, Dr. V left her gun holstered. I need your decision, Maudie. What did... Oh. It took every erg of willpower Maudie could summon to stop herself from just pushing the silly woman into the flagstones ahead of her. She couldn't afford to alienate the old stick. Not yet. She glanced at the brightening sky and forced a smile. Let's talk about it when we get back to the office, okay? We stand out here much longer and we'll lose the light. Nonsense. We'll simply wait for the next moon to pass over. We'll be nosher food before then. That's a chance we just have to take then. Dr. V's chin jutted stubbornly. This is much more important. What? Watching a pair of overgrown tarantulas humping? Mari forced her voice back to a docile tone with effort. Come on, Dr. V. Kurtz can handle it. You know as well as I do, he's better on the tech side than either one of us. Why should one of us have to be there? That's another issue I need to take up with you. Dr. V's expression tightened further. Kurtz is absolutely necessary to my plans to expand the research facilities here. You know that. You know how careful I've been not to let Sally suspect that Kurtz is anything more than a routine maintenance bug. To sing his praises to her, knowing her predilections. Why? You promised me that reprieve, Dr. V. You know I've earned it a hundred times over. So you have, the old stick tissed, which is one of the reasons why I'm very disappointed in you, Maudie. Maudie bit her lip through a slow ten count. Overhead, Sisyphus's second moon blazed across the sky in a madcap race against its own shadow. Maybe it was just the way the light moved, but Maudie thought she saw a ripple in the sand behind Dr. V. She reached out to pull the older woman closer to such shelter as the dome's entrance arc provided. Personally, she thought it would serve Dr. V right to be nausea food. She just couldn't afford to let the woman get killed, get herself killed before that reprieve was finalized. The human touch only annoyed Dr. V. She shook Maudie's hand off, then stuck hands on hips. That is now a second reason why you need to stay, she said. You are going to have to distract Sally from her budding interest in Kurtz. You promise, Dr. V. This is more important. Uh-huh. Maudie peered over Dr. V's shoulders at the sound below. Beyond, the silver light was already fading as the moon reached the far horizon, but that was definitely a ripple. Light be damned. They were going to have to run for it in the dark. Come on, we've got to move. There's a nosher swarm hatching. Dr. V didn't budge. I want your answer, Miss Koshtar. Will you stay willingly? Okay, I'll stay. Hell, she'd have promised to hump Kurtz if it'd get the damned old fool to move. Now let's get going, all right? Promise. Oh, gods, I promise. The next moon was already shimmering the horizon. It gave enough light to see the ripples raise dark humps out of the sand. In a moment, those bumps would blossom into bulbous fanged heads. Maudie switched her gun on, then grabbed Dr. V's arm with her free hand and hauled. Now move it, damn it! Dr. V stumbled forward, then pushed back. No, we are going to settle this right now. She folded her arms, looking stubborn. Behind her, the nauseous vines swelled into bulbous heads. The bulbs split. Jagged rows of fangs spreading a white gleam against the shadowed maws. Below the blind heads, tendrils uncoiled, swiveling, testing the air for any hint of moisture. 
Screw the old fool. Maudi backed away, gun locked on the noshers. I'm afraid I just can't believe you, Dr. V said. I'm sorry, but I shall just have to revoke your reprieve. Maudie saw Dr. V jerk back before she realized she'd pulled the trigger. The shock of the laser bolt knocked Dr. V off balance. She stumbled backwards and screamed as the nearest plank plant sank its teeth into her shoulder. Maudie fingered the trigger for another shot and stopped. The noshers weren't full grown yet. One shot to the bulb and she could pull Dr. V away. She could save the stupid woman and condemn herself to another 11 years in this hellhole. She took aim and fired again. The bolt seared off the top of Dr. V's head. She kicked the woman's shuddering body off the path, waited only long enough to see it disappear under the mass of writhing, thrashing plants, then turned and ran for the colony gate. Other than the mating dome, sissies never built anything sturdier than high, open frames on which to spin their nests. Sally's males had spread their nesting frames out in a wide arc around the mating dome. In the dark, the wind hummed through the clustered frames. It was a surprisingly musical sound, as if some invisible chorale were imp improvising a tune. The song of Sisyphus, Dr. V always called it. Beyond the nest frame, she could make out the outward, outward curve of the colony walls. The liaison office occupied the first row of domes inside the walls. Maudie slid through the gate on a hip, clawed at the path, webbing to stop herself from careening into a warehouse. There'd be guards to the warehouse, and even sissy guards asked questions. Panting, she scrambled to her feet and ran. The sky was brightening rapidly. The next moon must be almost over the horizon. She couldn't afford to be spotted out here, not alone, especially not by Kurt's damned bug worship, Dr. V. A whirl of yellow dust blew into the office as Maudie slipped through the web screen. Being a sissy spun dome, there were no windows in the office. The only light came from the iridescent gleam that arced across the walls as the latest moon shot by overhead. She took a gasping moment to try to sprawl the office into focus, but the passing glow only deepened the shadows along the far walls. Damn, Kurtz could be anywhere. Willing her knees to hold her upright, she sagged against the wall. The sissy spun webbing gave slightly beneath her weight, and she lurched away again. A shadow rippled at the edge of her vision. Oh God, was that Kurtz? She couldn't afford to run into him now, not until she got herself together got a good story ready. The fresh jolt of terror sharpened her focus on the shadowed ceiling. She spotted the bulge of Kurt's nest near the upper curve of the dome, a pale gleam among the gray shadows. It hung limp and empty. Pulse throbbing, Maudie squinted along the swooping curve of the workstation the three of them shared. Nothing, just the vid screens and sync links. Beyond the workstation was only the pair of glued rock piles that held coffee makings and Dr. V's storage bins, no sign of Kurt's. Some of the terror eased out of her shoulders. Good, the eight-legged bastard must be out on some errand. One small blessing in this miserable night. Slapping sand off her coverall, Maudie ground the dust into a finer yellow powder beneath her boot heels, just in case one of those grains hosted a nosher seed. She was safe then, or at least as safe as anyone ever was on Sisyphus. She dropped forward, hands on knees, and forced herself to think. She had time. She had to remember that. 
far as Warden knew, they were still at Sally's nest. Nobody would even start to wonder where Dr. V was till Sally's wedding tomorrow. And after the wedding, they were already scheduled to catch a ride out on the monthly supply ship. No one would question her heading to the spaceport. After the wedding, she was free. Her reprieve was already signed, sealed, and authorized. Dr. V had been real public about putting it through. All she needed was to sync the authorized copy of her reprieve to her personal records, and that wouldn't take but a second. She took a minute to catch her breath, then stumbled over to the workstation. There was that hint of motion again at the edge of her vision. She scanned the shadows again. Nothing. Just her imagination. Then the shadow lunged. Shrieking, Maudie leaped away from the desk. The nausher's fanged head snapped the air where her throat had been. She whirled clear, trying for enough distance to grab her gun. From the corner of her eye, she saw thin strands of roots racing across the floor, seeking any crack or niche where the plant could find purchase. Oh God, if it took root, it would sprout a swarm. A dark tendril wrapped around her wrist. It squeezed, numbed her fingers. Maudie screamed as the gun fell from her grip. She clawed at the coffee pot, spoon, anything she could use as a weapon, but the stones just slid sideways, dumping pot and contents onto the floor with a clatter. Rotten mead stink filled her nose as a jagged shadow rose above her shoulder. Something huge and black slammed into the nausher. The tendrils grip threw her against the console. The force of the impact broke its hold and Maudie slumped to her knees, taking what shelter she could find under the desk. Eight long, black, fuzzy legs skipped across the floor, stomping and scraping the root strands. The nausher thrashed with each blow as if the plant could feel pain. The plant's thrashing died away, leaving the sound of happy slurping. The slurping slowed to a and a velvety antenna reached under the desktop to poke her. Thanks for the snack, Kurt said. He didn't bother to use the vocoder strapped around his cephalothorax. Where the hell were you? Tara's aftermath put an edge of genuine outrage in her tone. Maudie crawled out from under the desk to glare up at the still slurping sissy. Compared to Sally, he was a dainty little tarantula, no more than maybe seven feet at the thorax. Past that, the differences didn't matter much from a human perspective. His pincers fed the writhing nausher into the range of the gleaming black things. Fangs and pinchers worked in unison to feed the squirming plant into the rows of suckers lining his mouth parts. He paused a moment to swipe up a drip from one of his front four hand legs. I was checking the vid feed in the nest. What? Maudie bit her lips closed and did a quick five count. Oh God, if he'd seen. Where? Outside our dome. His antennae curled into question marks. Why do you care? You never paid any attention to mechanics before. The antennae straightened accusingly. Where is Dr. Verachendra? Still at the nest. Kurtz's antennae twitched, testing the air. I don't believe you. Well, too bad for you then. She said it automatically while she ran a desperate visualization of their dome's line of sight. Close as they were to the walls, the warehouses would have blocked his view of the path so she could risk a bluff. Just finish getting that feed set up and let me finish our reports, okay? Kurtz didn't move. Why would Dr. Virachendra send you ahead to finish her reports? She knows better than to trust you, trust her nest work to you. She knows you want her place. He burped, 
washing Maudie in a wave of regurgitated nausea stink. She'd never leave you to handle her work, not without her to watch. Oh, hellfire and damnation. She'd forgot the sissy mindset. The bugs lived, ate, and slept status. Killing for status gain wasn't even a crime among sissies. It was just a fact of life. Kurtz's tech skills had made him lord of every male sissy in the colony, and he'd killed every bug that tried to learn them. Largely, Maudie had to admit, because so many of them had tried to kill him. She had to get Kurtz off this train of thought, and fast. Look, if you don't believe me, you just go on over to Sally's nest and check for yourself. No way in any of your human hells am I going near the nest today. His clicks actually shuddered. Okay, then go jump in your web. Just stay out of my way. Why did she let you come back? It doesn't feel right. Because she's so excited about the mating ceremony. Damn bug was worse than Dr. V in the way he hung on to a question. That's why she's still here. So either leave me alone or go ask her yourself. Kurt shoveled in the last of the nausher. Doesn't matter, I guess. So stop worrying about it. Maudie pushed herself up and kicked a toe in the direction of the collapsed coffee table. Maybe you can fix that? She's probably going to want a cup before we leave for the port. Still belching, Kurtz wandered over to see if the coffee table was repairable. Good. Trying to fix the table ought to keep him too occupied to spy on her. They'd used some spacers lock sealants on those stones, but all that did was stop the stand from coming completely apart. Nothing in the known universe could stop Sissy Rock from sliding. Maudie checked her wrist cron. Two hours to go, and she didn't know how long it'd take her to get the record sorted. To hell with it. She'd have to risk it. Leaving Kurtz in the coffee stand, Maudie crossed to Dr. V's portion of the console. First order of business was getting that reprieve posted to her records. Kurtz was right about one thing. Dr. V was so paranoid, she biocoded her access codes to her reports. That shouldn't be a problem, though. Her reprieve was already cleared, so it should be posted in public records. All she had to do was attach it to her personal record. She slipped her hand into the console's link port. The link read her DNA, then melded her biopattern directly into the vast AI that controlled every aspect of life on every world in the human commonwealth. Once she was synced in, the link erased all sense of the office around her. Monty gripped the edge of the desk, steadying herself against the sense of falling into the AI's glittering galaxies of data bursts as the link inserted her essence into the AI stream. Forcing herself to focus, she opened the link to Dr. V's site. She needed only a moment to locate her own personal report. Victory! There was her reprieve file. Locked under Dr. V's biocode. God damn that old stick! Nine years wasted! Nine years of sucking up to that old fool too stupid to see how much Sally despised her! Nine years gone to shit now and taking all of her dreams with them! Maudie slammed a fist against the console in helpless rage. All her hopes! Sour vomit smell washed over her. I know why Dr. Vera Chandra didn't come back with you. Kurtz's clicked in her ear. You killed her. Maudie cleared the chair with a shriek. She wasn't fast enough. Something that felt like a velvet-wrapped steel cable whipped across her throat. Suddenly, she was staring up between Kurtz's pincers into his bared fangs. 
Above the fangs, all eight of his lidless black eyes glared down at her. Close up, she could smell the musty oil along his upraised abdomen, and her hand was still trapped in the calm link. She tried to yank her hand free. Useless. The pad's restraining field sprang to life, locking her hand in place. Prisoner Koshtar! Oh, it's the warden's voice. Through the jungle of Kurtz's knees, she saw the red warning blip on the calm monitor. Her scream must have awakened the system alarm. Praise whatever. The sound of Warden's voice shocked Kurtz into easing his grip. Answer me, convict. Mottie pulled in a long breath, held it. The red blip on the monitor faded. The restraining field did not. Yes, ma'am? What in hell is going on over there? Uh, nothing, ma'am. Mottie's terror eased a bit. It was only calm. The warden couldn't see her. Every other room in the colony had biz monitoring, monitoring, but Dr. V usually had Kurtz handle her off-world communications. One of those contacts had slipped warden a bribe to disable their office's biz. Not that Maudie blamed them. Most humans simply lost it when they would wound up face to fang with Kurtz at point-blank range. Right. The warden's tone said she was losing patience. Then what set off the damned alarm? That was me, ma'am. Maudie made sure she sounded contrite. Kurtz dropped in on me while I was logged on. Oh. Maudie could almost hear the woman shudder. Okay, you pass. Only the warden didn't sign off or release the field. So why were you logged on? This is Kurtz, ma'am. Little bastard. He turned on his vocoder. The vocoder turned Kurtz's clicks into an oily weedle. I can answer that. Oh, no, he wouldn't. Hands still trapped in the link, Mahdi arched backwards. I just came in to find... Kurtz lost the sentence in an almost human yip as Mahdi's fingers twisted his nearest antenna. For a sissy, that was equivalent to corkscrewing a man's dick. Reaction was about the same, too. I'm waiting, bug! Kurtz couldn't bring his pincers to bear on her, not without losing the antenna altogether. He released Mahdi to throw himself on his back in an attempt to untwist his appendage. Mahdi only squeezed harder. The six of his legs, not trying to unpry her fingers, nodded in quivering misery. He forgot the vocoder altogether and lapsed into a staccato series of sissy clicks. Koshtar, what'd that gobbing bug say? What Kurtz was clicking likely set a new record of for sissy profanity. He's just confirming what I said, ma'am. She locked her gaze on Kurtz's lower row of eyes. Tell the warden I was formatting that report, tweeting. May you hatch only daughters, Kurtz snapped, literally in his case. Lucky for her, he said it in sissy. May your mates, ah! You remember that report Dr. V wanted me to format, don't you? She gave his antenna an extra twist to make sure he cooperated and used the vocoder like a good little bug. Yes, she was formatting that report. Kurt stopped prying at Maudie's fist. Instead, he tried to ride himself to bring the singing hairs that stood erect and quivering to bear on her. The hairs from a male wouldn't kill a woman, but they'd sure as hell make you wish they had. Maudie yanked down hard on the captive antenna and Kurt stopped squirming. Convict, you need help in there? Yes, good old Kurtz. He remembered to use the vocoder. Not you, bug. Answer me, Koshtar. No, ma'am. She didn't have to fake the sincerity for a change. Okay, you say so. The warden still didn't sign off or release the field. One other question, Koshtar. 
damn, didn't that woman have anyone else to torture? Ma'am? Where's Dr. Veritandra? Mahdi fought down panic. God damn, gobbing daughter of a son of a bitch and bastard. She could only hope the warden wouldn't spot the guilty spike in her pulse rate. Still at Sally's mating dome, ma'am. She stayed to set up the recording equipment. She sent me on ahead to get our stuff together. She's not going to have time after the wedding to get it done before we ship out tomorrow. Enough of that was true to make her look honest on any monitors the warden had on her. But if the warden backtracked her entries, she'd start asking questions that had no happy answers. You got a message you want me to give Dr. V? Maudie asked. With luck, the question would derail any further questions. Silence while the warden thought about it. Your bug's still there? Yes, um, Kurtz answered for himself. In typical sissy fashion, for a male, he'd stopped resisting. He was trying now to suck up instead. His front two hand legs and remaining antennas stroked her arm. Maybe you better leave, bug. I'd be delighted to, Kurtz broke off with a whimper at Maudie's pinch. If you don't mind, ma'am, he really needs to stay, Maudie finished for him. He's got to integrate my report with some of Dr. B's research data. He won't bother you, promise. She'd promise anything to get that damn woman to release the restraining field. Okay, your call. You're the one got to deal with him. Maudie could almost hear the woman shrug. Ma'am? Beneath her fingers, Maudie felt Kurtz's antenna try to perk into question mode. Just got word from Sally. Seems she already ate the bug she was planning on marrying. She's going to mate with your Kurtz instead. Oh! The horror in Kurtz's tones shocked Maudie. He seemed to forget the agony of her grip. His back six legs, six legs convulsed, his two front hand legs thrumming on his pincers. Venom leaked from his fang tips, sign of sissy distress. Upside down as he was, the venom ran in a glistening stream down his thorax to drip on the floor. Madi loosened her grip on his antenna before the venom stream stretched her, reached her arm. Kurt shot up the wall backwards, antennae and hand legs fluttering in distress. His vocoder set up a high, keeling wail. You sure you don't need help, Kashtar? I'm sure, ma'am. I'll calm him down as soon as I finish with Dr. V's report. Forget that report. Work on the bug. Damn. She couldn't let Warden lock her out. Uh, but Dr. V wants that report ready. Dr. V can write her own damn report after she's aboard tomorrow. We're in Sally's territory here. If she wants Dr. V's bug, she gets Dr. V's bug. Otherwise, this whole colony is not your food. The warden gave that a second to sink in. So I'm logging you off, convict. You get that bug ready. The warden cut the transmission off, taking the anchor of the restraining field with it. Maudie had to grab the console edge to keep from falling. The move shot fire up her spine, but she barely recognized the pain. She dropped to a squat and surrendered to the misery. So close. She'd been so close. And now all she could do was wait for morning for Warden to find out. It didn't matter whether Kurtz ratted her out anymore. Without that reprieve, she was as good as dead. You killed us! You killed us all! Well out of reach above her head, Kurtz set up a steady drumming on his pincers. Venom from his fangs splashed on the floor near Maudie's feet. She scooted the chair out of drip range before glaring up at him. Just gob off, okay? Gob off. Very funny. 
Kurt switch to the vocoder to get the sarcasm across. I can't, Gob. Even you ought to realize that. What are you talking about? Just look at me. So you're male. Uh, oh, his situation finally sank home. Kurtz was right. Male sissies needed time to build up the superabundance of hormones that turn their individual markings psychedelic. Kurtz's dull blue markings were emphatically short of hormones. Sally will take one look at me and know I'm not ready, Kurtz clicked. Yeah, and you can't dance either. The vocoder triggered again, giving Kurtz a human-sounding wail. Have you ever seen what Sally does to a male who can't please her? Do you know how long she can spend killing a husband? Kurt slapped his hand legs against his pincers. The hollow thump they made sounded like some primitive war drum. All that work, all that trouble to get my access authorized. I was supposed to be safe. Rubbing her aching back, Maudie groped the chair over and hauled herself into it. Someplace there was a way out in that. If she could only think. She dropped her chin into her hands. Dr. Veritendra would have protected me. The thumping set up a hollow rhythm of hurt and anger. Oh, why did you have to kill her? I would have been an excellent liaison. You still will be. Maudie let excitement touch her click pattern. Maybe there was a chance here after all. She could never weasel her way past Dr. V's biocode, but if he had access authorization, Kurtz could. I can make sure of it. Why? The drumming thump stopped. Kurtz's antennae target locked on Maudie. Why would you let me rule your territory? Because it isn't my territory. My territory is on my home world. I just want to get back to my own nest. I can't do that if I'm stuck here. I need you to take over here. Then why did you kill? You want to live or not? Yes. Then you have to help me. Maudie watched his antennae perk. How? I can only go tomorrow if I can get my reprieve out of Dr. V's files. And she saved it under her biopack code. Kurtz, has poked, Kurtz poked his antennae at her, testing. So... So I can't get the file open, but you could. The antennae shrugged. Why should I help you? Because I'm your one chance to make this your own nest. Imagine it. You'll be the only male in all sissy history to have a nest of his own. He thought about that for a moment. But what can you do to help me? When I take the reprieve to Warden, I'll remind her that she can't run the liaison office without you. You're the only one who knows all Dr. V's codes. So Sally won't listen to your warden, but I can get warden to turn some other bug over to Sally. She willed herself to believe her own story while his antennae tested, tested the air for a lie. Warden wasn't going to go up against Sally. The woman wouldn't risk it for any prisoner in the colony. She sure as hell wouldn't risk it for Kurtz. But she had to make him believe Warden would. It was her only chance. Think of it, Kurtz. You'll be the one holding Dr. V's status. You'll be the one to train the next human female assigned to the office. Think of the status you'll gain. She could almost see the hairy fool swell with imagined importance. Are you sure you can convince Warden to hand over another male? Sure. Sally doesn't know you. Hell, she doesn't even want you. 
She wants the bragging rights of mating with the smartest, most important male on the planet. Maudie leaned forward, palms upward in imitation of the sissy peace posture. You could be the only male in sissy history to decide which female you mate with. Think about it. You could have females fighting over you. The antennae swirled with dreamy loops. And you promise not to come back? I'll die first. That was perhaps the most thorough truth she'd ever spoken. All right, I will help. Kurtz dropped to the ground and scuttled over to the console. He stretched a hand leg toward the screen and stopped. Mati's heart stopped with him. What's wrong? Kurtz swung around to settle on four of his back legs, antennae going stubborn. No, I need proof. What? Maudie held her breath, praying her body chemistry wouldn't betray her frustration. Told you, with Dr. V gone, you're the only one who can handle the liaison office. You know that's true. What kind of proof do you need? Proof Sally will accept another male in my place. Kurtz lowered his head enough to bring all eight eyes to bear on her. You bring me one of Sally's guards to verify her agreement. Then I'll give you the reprieve. How... Maudie pulled in a breath, changed tax. There's no time, Kurtz. I still have to take the reprieve to Warden and get Clarence. Not my problem. The horror flooded back. Maudie rubbed hands across her eyes, hard, trying to scrub the red memory out. I can't. Why not? Because you're lying? Because you want all the glory for yourself? There is no glory, you stupid bug. Maudie launched herself at him. Kurt snapped his antennae out of reach before she could grab them. He wrapped one set of hand legs around Maudie's arm and dragged her down, forcing her to stare up at the bared fangs between his gaping pincers. I want to hear it from Sally's own guard. Otherwise, Kurtz flipped her away from him and back toward the wall. Wait! Kurtz paused, antennae questioning. I'll go, but I, I need the reprieve first. Too bad. Kurtz reached the wall and started backing up it. But it takes time to log all the clearances. She glanced at the red cron display above the desk. Barely an hour left. I'll never make it. The words sounded like her own death sentence. Worden knows about the reprieve. I can transmit the clearances. Kurtz anchored his back four in the fine threads of the wall, lifted his frontmost hand legs in imitation of a human shrug. Once I know it's safe. Damn. He had her trapped and he knew it. Like the judge all over again, thought he was safe. The first nebulous wisps of an idea began to form. She pulled in a breath, made sure to put a sob in it. Okay, you win. I'll go. Oh, she'd see Sally all right. And then they'd see who came out on top. The last of the Sisyphus's three moons had set when Maudie slipped out of the office. Without the moon's peripatetic brilliance, she had left to navigate by starlight, and Sisyphus was too far out on the galactic rim for the stars to light up anything. She sensed rather than saw the domes of the colony warehouses looming around her. She held her breath and listened for the faint swish of a rising nausher. Nothing. The cold desert breeze carried only the whispered rustles of the domes' silken walls and the faint stink of sissy body oils. She followed the breeze stink toward Sally's nest. What if the nauseers had left some of Dr. V's body? It might still be there, 
might still be sprawled beside the path. Maudie shut the what-ifs out of mind. There were no what-ifs anymore. There was only success or death. Warden might run the colony with a light hand, but she ran it nonetheless. And the penalty for murder was a walk across the Nosher Plain. Business! A staccato click challenged her from the darkness. Maudie sniffed out the guards' general direction. I bring news for the great mother, she clicked back. The mother is busy. The guards' click pattern reeked contempt. The bug challenging her might not live past Sally's next noshy fit, but while he breathed, he was one of her protectors and thus arrogance itself. Come back after the mating is complete. I bring news about her intended. I will escort you to the mother. Protective he might be, but there was nothing any sissy male loved more than seeing Sally's appetite directed at somebody else. Huge and red, the sissy matriarch had moved off her egg pile. She squatted on her mating platform now, her swollen abdomen rippling with the eggs she needed to lay. Her antennae curled upwards like cobras readying to strike. What news do you bring, speaker of humans? The multi-layered silk of the walls softened the sharp click of Sally's voice, but the words still snapped like a set of castanets gone mad. Maudie's heart lurched. Speaker of humans was Dr. V's title. Oh God, if Sally knew. She wet her lips and plunged on. We have a problem, great mother, she said. Your interest honors our office and our mail. Do you tell me now your Kurtz is unworthy? You, who sang his praises? Not at all, oh great mother, Maudie fought down a sneeze. This close, Sally smelled of oil, musk, and half-digested. Oh, Maudie tried not to think of the dancing male she'd seen earlier. He simply isn't physically ready. He's had no time to build up the hormonal level necessary to fertilize the eggs you carry. Ah, uh, that could be a problem. Sally lowered herself within the red columns of her legs until her pincers cracked inches from Maudie's nose. If I have no mail to feed my children, I will need to find an alternative food source. Who do you think your warden will offer? For a moment, Maudie hesitated. With Dr. V gone, Kurtz was the last of the colony's communicators, and he'd owe her everything. It wouldn't hurt to have a friend out here, not considering the plans she had for that brother-in-law of hers. She shut the thought down hard. Didn't matter. The fool bug simply knew too much. She looked up at Sally and almost smiled. It is a risk, oh great mother, but I have a solution. Sun glow was already brightening the office walls when Maudie slipped back through the entrance screen. She stepped into the back room that served as both storage room and Dr. V's sleeping quarters. She hauled Dr. V's few clothes out of their drawers, tossed them on the cot. Dr. V'd been a bit shorter than Maudie and stockier, so the clothes were a bad fit. No choice either way. She had no clothes of her own other than her convict's coverall, and she sure as hell wasn't going home in that. Besides, nobody expected an arachnologist to be a fashion plate. Stripping off her coverall, she wiggled into a pair of Dr. V's slacks and shirts, then pulled Dr. V's battered suitcase off the top of the storage rack. She was stuffing Dr. V's things into it when she felt Kurtz's velvety antenna tap her shoulder. Aren't you forgetting something? He clicked. No, got it all covered. Wait a minute. Rummaging through a sample cabinet, Maudie pulled out a broad, flat container 
of dead sissy hatchlings Dr. Veed wanted to dissect. Holding the vile things by fingertips, she laid it atop the clothes. Every item leaving Sisyphus got a hands-on inspection, no matter who it belonged to, and she couldn't afford to have some dumbass ship clerks come up with questions she might not be able to answer. The lab specimens were perfect. Nothing discouraged a manual inspection like a packet of baby sissies. No, all set. She gave Kurtz her most disarming smile, wasted though the gesture was. Not yet, you're not. Kurt scuttled back far enough to bring both rows of eyes to bear on her. What about Sally? Told you, got it all covered. Lottie patted him on the nearest elbow. I explained to her that you haven't had time to develop either a dance or mating hormones. And? And she understands. She has to think of her hatchlings first, after all. She gave him a moment to let his antennae test the words. How do I know you even saw Sally? His click pattern sounded truculent. The antennae coiled into an angle of pure suspicion. You're supposed to bring back one of her guards to verify. Paranoid little bastard, aren't you? Keeps me alive. Where's the guard? Right outside. Maudie lifted her chin toward the office door. A looming shadow grayed the dome shimmer. Why doesn't he come in? Because I don't trust you either. Maudie jerked a thumb at the console. You see the guards here. You give me the reprieve. He gives you your proof. Fair enough. Kurtz thought about it for a moment. Then he did the full body bob. That was a sissy nod. Have it set up. All I have to do is load it onto your personal ID. So load it then, okay? That ship leaves in 20 minutes. Kurtz slid past her onto the comm desk. Maudie fidgeted while Kurtz copied, collated, and confirmed her position as a free woman first in authorities records, then across in all the multiple lobes of the Commonwealth's immense AI database known as NetMine. He took her hand at last and laid it on the link patch embedded in the desk. The link read her bio pattern, synced it to her records throughout the Commonwealth. Maudie fought down a whoop as NetMine reinstated her legal existence. The AI verified her passage out on the supply ship nestled on the colony's port. It also notified Port Authority to send a skimmer shuttle to pick her up. Maudie pulled her hand free and wrapped one arm around Kurtz's nearest hand leg. Oh, Kurtz, you big, beautiful bug. How can I ever thank you? You can get yourself out of here. Kurtz shook her hand off. Already in the works? Authority sending a skimmer for me. Maudie rubbed her cheek against the black fuzz of his hand leg, forcing his focus on her. She couldn't afford to have him thinking too clearly just now. Not with the new set of multi-legged shadows now dimming the sun gleam on the wall. Oh, wait, I got something for you. What? His click pattern was suspicious still, but now that he felt safe, his curiosity kicked back in, curling his antennae into question marks. Maudie made a show of rummaging through a pocket before she pulled out a vial. Sally wants you to have this. It's an extract from her scent glands. Holding her breath, she flicked it open with the thumb and thrust the stinking vial up under Kurtz's pincers. The whiff of concentrated sissy stench roiled Maudie's stomach. Kurtz might not be a in a mating mood, but Sally was. Even without the mating hormones to hype his system, his abdomen rose, every hair on it quivering at her scent. He shoved the vial back with, her, with a trembling leg hand. Why? Because you're the one she wants, that's why. Maudie eased a second vial, 
this one attached to a hypodermic out of her pocket. With one swift lunge, Maddie shoved the hypo into the fleshy junction between Kurtz's thorax and hand leg. She flung herself flat and rolled for the screen. And rolled for the screen. If Kurtz got those pincers into her, that reprieve would be meaningless, unnecessary precaution. All eight of Kurtz's legs jittered spasmodically as the hormone she injected took effect. Scrambling back against the wall, Maddie watched wide-eyed as the sissy equivalent of a 600% testosterone solution slammed into his bloodstream. His abdomen arched, swelling. Already, the faint blue and white hourglass pattern on his back was brightening. His legs seemed to find a rhythm they could agree on. The jittering morphed into a kind of syncopated tap dance. Maddie sidled along the wall to the entrance screen and poked it open to peer out at the group of Sally's guards clustered beyond it. He's all yours, boys. Come and get him. Maddie skipped aside with alacrity before the husband catchers scuttled over her. If sissies could scream, Kurtz's clacking horror would have shattered decibel records. Sally's guards used his moment of frozen terror to swarm him. Lying! Treacherous! God only knew how Kurtz would have finished that thought if his captors hadn't spun his pincers shut. Working with the enthusiasm of drowning men clutching at a life jacket, one male spun bands around Kurtz's four hand legs. His partner used his body to block Kurtz's stinging hairs. Maudie watched while the husband catchers wrapped Kurtz's legs together, then stepped up to stroke his face. Sorry, speeding. Oddly enough, she realized it was true now that she knew she was safe. Didn't have a choice. Why? Kurtz framed the question with the curve of an antenna. You know too much, sweetie. And you don't see anything wrong in killing. There's too much chance you've let what you know about Dr. V's death slip out. And that's a risk I just can't take. The husband catchers were getting impatient. Maudie gave Kurtz a final pat, then waved them on their way. She watched them roll Kurtz's bound form out of the entrance screen, followed them long enough to spot the port skimmer pulling up at the colony gate. Well, that was that. Humming to herself, Maudie slapped her last few things into Dr. V's suitcase. She forced herself to take the extra moment to make sure the office looked as if she expected Dr. V to come back. Warden noticed little discrepancies like that and asked questions. Then she tucked the case under her arm and hurried out to the waiting shuttle. It was a good half-cycle's ride out to the port, and she had the whole shuttle to herself. Maudie stretched out on the hard plastiform seat and finally allowed herself to daydream. She hadn't decided yet exactly how she would kill that brother-in-law of hers. It'd have to be a slow death. And it would definitely have to involve spiders. Lots of spiders. She'd have to be careful, of course. It'd be too easy for authority to tie his death to the timing of her release. But she had Walter's millions stashed in a secure account. And she'd made useful connections during her convict years. She'd find a way to disappear. Maudie was still humming when the shuttle dropped her off at the ship. She slapped her hand into the ship's compatch to sign in. The crew man at the sign and post, a plump, ebony-skinned spacer, frowned up at her over his console. Only one? Passenger log says we're taking two, it does. Dr. Virachendra decided to stay on to continue her studies. Mari gave him her sweetest smile. So it's just me. The crewman rechecked his log, then shrugged. Yeah, okay. Changed his post that it did. He tapped a spot on the control patch and a sync link opened up. Just need to confirm your idea, Duke. 
Slide her hand into the link. Maudie forced her breath to stay even when the dizzying sink effect hit her. Kurtz knew his stuff, she reminded herself. She had nothing to worry about. Even so, her knees nearly gave out when the sink released her. Confirmed and locked. The crewman was already prepared to forget her. Good. Maudie pushed herself upright from the sink podium. Now you want to point me toward the passengers' quarters? Been a long time since I got the chance to sleep safely. Yeah, sure. Just follow the... He glanced at his controls, frowned, looked harder. Message just came in for you. Who from? Your warden. Oh, God. If Kurtz had somehow got away, there were no plea deals for murder on Sisyphus. It took all the self-control Maudie had to keep upright. Think. She had to think. No, she decided. It had to be something mundane. Kurtz couldn't have escaped Sally's car, and no human went near Sally's mating hall at hatching time. It had to be some kind of housekeeping question, a question on who'd be handling the compost. Nothing she couldn't handle. Okay, you can put it through here. The crewman ran his fingers across the control patch, then nodded. Just sink back in, you're on. Pulling in a calming breath, Maudie slipped her hand back into the link. The AI that was netmined coalesced the image of the warden's broad face against Maudie's eyes. Yes, ma'am? Even in net, the enforced respect left a sour taste on Maudie's tongue. Convict! I have a name again, warden. Maudie allowed herself a mental smirk. It's Maudie Kashtar. Check your records. She watched warden fume through a 10 count. Okay, Con Kashtar. Got a last-minute translation request for you. Can't Dr. V handle it? Maudie made a point of asking. Can't find her. Apparently, she's still over at Sally's. Mating hall. Can't it wait? This ship has a schedule to keep, you know. It's from Sally. You okay, Kashtar? Maudie had to clutch the link podium with both podium with both hands to keep from collapsing. This time, it was Warden who smirked. You think you really want to take this one, Kashtar? You want me to have her send a messenger out to the port to deliver it to you in person? No. Maudie shook herself. Get a grip, she told herself. In sync, Netmind tracked the chemical reactions in her body. Warden could see the spike of terror. She couldn't let Warden think she was afraid of anything more than Sally. No, I'm... Okay, I just thought I wouldn't ever have to see Sally again. She pulled in a breath, held it. Okay, patch it through. Coming through now. Warden's image disappeared. What replaced it was the massive set of fangs and pincers that passed for Sally's face. The pincers clacked a staccato command, and whatever male was holding the camera backed off enough to bring both rows of Sally's eyes into the frame. I give you greetings, speaker for humans, and congratulations. Greetings, O oh great mother, but allow me to point out that speaker for humans is Dr. Verachendra's title. Why do humans waste effort on these foolish denials? Of course you killed her. It, you're, it, you've been misinformed, O oh great mother. I am returning. Nonsense. What female returns to an old nest when she has one fresh conquered, especially one you rule so effectively? Sally burped faintly. Your Kurtz was indeed an excellent as, your Kurtz was indeed as excellent as you claimed. I would have you raise more husbands for me. I have already informed your warden. She spread pincers, raising the velvety sheaths to expose the gleaming scimitars of her fangs, the sissy equivalent of a grin. It will be good to have a speaker who understands us. 
it will be good to have a female who belongs. And Megan, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, that was so good. Your Kurtz makes me laugh out loud. <laughs> it's a messed up story. Yeah. It's so twisted. It's, it's so good, though. I love, um, I love how I'm always conflicted when I hear this story because I, I, I'm compelled for Maudie. Like I want her to win, but then at the same time, she's so awful that I'm like, ah. I'm on Kurtz's side, man. That's messed up. I know. It really, it really is. Like I feel, I feel really bad for him. He definitely gets the worst of it. I really, I really love this piece. Like sci-fi is sometimes really hard to get into, but Bonnie really did a great job with building the world. Like I saw everything in it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She's, she's an excellent world builder. And uh, I hope everybody, I'm sure you'll talk about this in the interview, but I hope everybody will go to her website and look at her other books like Homeworld where, where she has, she has multiple stories in the same universe. And it's really hard to build a world. <laughs> it's so hard to build a world. Dang it. It is so, so hard. hard. I was actually texting with my niece about this last night about uh, how, when you're a writer or when you're creating anything, whether it's a story or a video game, it's like you have to make all the decisions about everything that's going on in the world. And you're starting from scratch when you're doing sci-fi because it's usually a brand new world. I, so, I feel this so hard. To all sci-fi writers. I feel this so hard. I, as you know, I just finished The Gatherings, which is a horror short. And world building is the hardest thing to do. It's so hard. So kudos to the Bonnies out there. And... Unfortunately, we couldn't like interview her live. She would be a really great live interview, but her recorded interview was really cool. So we're going to do that now. Hi there. <laughs> hi, hi everyone. This is Jeremy and Bonnie Milani in the pre-recorded episode. Bonnie Milani is an amazing sci-fi writer, as you've already heard because you've heard her piece. Bonnie, do you want to talk about uh, some of your other pieces that are connected to the world? Um, the web specifics, I can't even say. <laughs> we had the hardest time. We're doing this over again. Um, it's really hard to say Sisyphus. I, we're going to pause right now really fast, Bonnie, for them to say it three times, okay? So y'all say it three times. Okay, we gave you a little bit more just so you could try to, to do it a fourth time because I know you butchered it, but... Um, yeah, Bonnie said it's common for people to say webs of syphilis. Syphilis, yeah. <laughs> uh, Get some interesting attention there. It's like, say what? But it's set in uh, the Aaliyah War universe. And the Aaliyah War um, is this is the universe where it starts. It's founded in the book Homeworld, uh, which, which lays out the whole universe. I mean, if you want an introduction to the world, to that universe, Homeworld is where you start. We're going to put the link um, for everyone below. Um, you'll be able to find that on Amazon, Homeworld. Yeah. Um, and then we, we have other stories. Each story is a standalone. It's independent, but it occurs in the same universe. So you have the same types of characters. You have references to each other. Um, so these are worlds, these are stories that are sort of aware of each other, but not in the same, not as a sequel 
it's not a set of people. They're just their stories occurring in the same universe. Where would you say Webs of Sisyphus is in uh, amongst the other stories? Like, uh, say somebody was trying to get into your piece. We already know that uh, they need to do Homeworld. <laughs> would you say it's a safe bet to do? What was the second piece that you said? You said. Well, the first one would be Homeworld. Home that's one later on. But you can read any of them. You know, you okay. don't read okay, that's good. Good to know. Um, it just it just helps because then you're more familiar, more deeply familiar with the uh, types of characters that you've got. Uh, Web of Sisyphus occurs pretty much after the war has ended, um, but it doesn't much matter for that mm. for that part of it. Um, many of these stories, many of the stories occur shortly after the war has ended. Um, what inspired, uh, not not just this piece, but what inspired you to create this world? Like, I'm so, like, entranced by the spiders and everything. What what created this? Do you remember? I, it's actually Sam. Sam has been in my oh, mind. Oh, the spider? For, yeah, he has been with me since I was oh, 18, 19 years old. And he just he spun himself a web up in the upper side of my mind. Uh, because, was he always big uh, in your head? Was he always a giant spider? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and he is was a butt. In the, he's always been on the land from his wife. He's, he's hiding up there because he's afraid of him. <laughs> I mean, who <laughs> wouldn't be if you're going to get eaten for mating? Exactly. Um, and it was knowing that. And I so for years and years and years, I kept trying to think of what kind, what story is there? Aside from the fact that he's afraid of his wife, he's running from his wife. What? What is his backstory? What is his background? How? Where did he come from? Um, and for many years, Sam just wouldn't talk to me. He just he was just he was holed up in his little nest, and that was it. She pulled it and out every now and then, but that was good. They go back. And after I went went back to writing fiction, gradually he started to come out. As he started to come out and become more alive to me, I feel I, I feel your love back. for the spiders. Like I feel it. Like those are some of my favorite parts. Is the description of uh of her with her eggs like this mother that loves them and yet if they're female they're going to get gobbled up it's just it's mm -hmm. uh did you have to do research on spiders to understand them yes, yes? and they're actually uh composites of a number of different spiders mm. but the a lot of the behavioral characteristics and a lot of the physical characters come from peacock spiders wow okay and, and peacock slaves are, you would love them because the peacock slaves so are eating. You know, he comes from Zayibi. And they have these magnificent markings. The males are, they're tiny. They're, again, you have a huge size difference between the female and the male. So the males are little tiny things. The females just look down on them like, well, yeah, okay, I know what you want, don't I? But the males actually dance. Oh, I've seen it. They go side. They go like this, right? They go sideways oh, they back and forth. They throw their arms up, they wave their <laughs> arms, they put their butts up in the air, wave their butts, they they dance. Back. They're hilarious. They do these wonderful little dances, and they keep looking at the females like, "Okay, are you happy? Are you happy? Are you happy? Now? <laughs> are, you ha are you happy enough?" Um, <laughs> if you watch the videos on them, it's hard to believe that these things are like so tiny. They they fit in the middle of your little thumbnail. And you have your little finger's nail, and there's room left over on this on the edges, but they're actually venomous. Oh, you know, and they are really, and they're savage hunters. Uh. So, you know, they are very territorial. They will go after anything at all. They don't care. I mean, this little tiny thing will take on a cricket that's ten times its size. They can win. 
but the funeral is another story. So it was once I started to look into spiders, I wanted to see what they were. I needed something that was um, big, had a strong mating drive, mm. and that it was a matter of saying what kind of culture would grow out of that. Once once I had the dance down, I was like, okay, now that's a click for me. Um, then it was like, what kind of culture grows out of that? Where the male is, is for obvious reasons, subordinate to the female, so it's a matriarchy, but matriarchy not out of a social design, but by genetics. Mm. Um, so what kind of behavior would you get? How would you males think? Because this is, this is hard-coded, genetics is hard-coded into them. It's not a matter of a learned behavior. And how does that affect them? Where would humans fit in? And gradually with that, Sam started to come to life. So there's a lot more, there's a lot more Sam stories mm. in there. Um, and where where but, will we find Sam? Is is Sam in Homeworld? No, Sam is in uh, Cherry Pickers. Cherry Pickers. Okay. Him, him Cherry Pickers. And the sequel to Cherry Pickers is right now is um, The Sissy and the Pilot. So where Sam saves the day again because Sam is not just hopelessly romantic, he's romantically challenged because he is married and he has managed to survive his wedding night, but that doesn't mean he's going to survive the morning after. He doesn't know he's going to survive the next Nashi fit that his wife has. Um, so he's he's being really creative and he wants to, um, she's curious about all these books that he's read, all these human stories, and how do they fit into her imagination? How do they fit into her concept of the world? So there, there's, there's, there's more stories coming. When you, um, when you wrote Webs of Sisyphus, what, what were you left with? Like, what did you ex discover or what, what did you get from writing this piece? Anytime I'm writing about Sisyphus, I find that the thing that really gets to me is I am so glad to be off that world. Um, I mean, this is a world where even the grass is out to get you. Oh my gosh. Oh my yeah. gosh! Like so, what, what? Like like even when they're little babies, what what do you call it? The noshers. Oh, the noshers. Like they're 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 vicious no matter what age yeah. they are. They're, just, yeah. they're born. Vicious. Um, you have the mountains. So the mountains supposed to buy up them and make them super slippery during the day, but then sticky as all get out at night. So there is no place in Sisyphus. I mean, the world is out to get you. You're never safe. Mm. You're never done. You're never done being. You're pushing that rock up the hill mm. because it's going to fall back down on you. It may take the rest of the mountainside with it. It would be a good video game, Bonnie. Anybody out there who's wanting to make a video game, you, you should make it? it into a video yeah. game. Yeah, I'm always interested. Yes, <laughs> Homeworld would make a great video game too, I think, but um, they have a multi-level game. So I just can't, I need to find somebody who's interested in developing it. Um, but yeah, it's still, I mean, really, truly, it's, it's it is, uh, high in a lot of ways writing about Sisyphus simply because you're so energized. I'm so energized in writing this and just eventually staying on my toes because I know there's something going to, you know, lurking there and trying to keep an awareness. You, I have to be hyper vigilant mentally with this because I have to be aware of what would be happening in this world. Is, is it so the adventure? Because you said that you are relieved when you're out of the world. Is it the adventure mm -hmm. that brings you in where you're like, oh, I have to go back in? Like, what brings you back into the world? It's the characters. The characters. You know, I, just, I, I love Sam. I love Nikki. Um, 
I want to see Nikki grow up. Um, uh, for the for the listeners, happy. these are this is not from the short story. This is from uh, from the other books. The other stories. Um, yes, I want to see them grow up. I want to see Nikki grow up. I want to see Sam happy, happy about as happily married as he can manage to be. But I'd like to see him have some security. Um, but he also he has a rendezvous. He wants to travel. So. And he keeps in the back of my mind, he keeps saying, they got spaceships. Why can't I be on a spaceship? I want to be on a spaceship. I want to go traveling. I'm thinking, come on, find a crew that will let you on. Um, you know, Dylan Cruz there has a hard time <laughs> accepting Sam. Bonnie, um, will so we go away? Will we see any of the characters from Webs of Sisyphus again? Um, not likely. Okay. <laughs> Not likely. I mean, Sally might crop up. But Sally oh, I hope is, so. She, I hope we see she, Sally again. Sally's a whole different. You know, each female sissy has her own territory, mm. and definitely playing chummy because if two females are one ter- only one of them's going to walk away. Mm. I that's what that so, I, I loved. I loved when the the women were interacting. Like even if it's a giant female spider, like I just love those moments of interaction. Um, I was saying that like it's like. They're friends, they're allies, but there's also that sinister quality. Because, like, wouldn't you say she's the antagonist mm-hmm. as well? Well, Sally is, yeah. 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 And that's it. Sally, but Sally knows. She knows who she is. She knows, she knows her authority. She knows her power. She's totally comfortable with it. She will not brook any kind of, of challenge to her power. Mm-hmm. And that's something that the humans... That's the, that's the line the humans have to walk as well. Um, and it takes, that's why you know, Sally wants somebody who understands her. She wants somebody who understands. She, um, she's got her. How, she's got her. How she's trapping her back on yeah. that planet. Yeah. And the fact that Mati's going to hate her guts, that's, that's fine, but <laughs> Sally's standing Oh, but it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a perfect ending because like, I, wasn't, I wasn't really happy with her leaving after what she did to Chris. So she kind and, of yeah. got what she deserved in the end yes bonnie you were an amazing interview is there anything else that you would like to leave the listeners with is there anything else that you would like them to know about your work where we can find it um on amazon um i'm pretty much on amazon it's just that's that's like the one place that it's a clearing house she's she's so Um, popular She's so popular. She she's got fans. Like like I wouldn't be surprised if we have the most listeners from Bonnie Milani. Oh, from your lips to God's ears, we will do. We will advertise. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, thank you so much for having me on. This is just such a delight. Um, you write the and I don't know if you told people about your micro stories, but you write the most fascinating, magnificent micro stories where you have an entire you world captured in a hundred words and oh my god i couldn't do that i'm trying to convince bonnie to be a guest star on one of my newsletters eventually like if i poke her enough i think she might do one for me (laughs) i can't even say hello in under a (laughs) hundred words are you kidding (laughs) i'm a novelist but really (laughs) but but i i am such a fan of of those micro stories they're beautiful their heart cut, their heart wrenching. You know, the one where of uh, the climber, where cancer is hard. This way is easier on both of us. Um, but I didn't want you to think I fell off the mountain. I'm a damn good climber, and I think, oh my god, I love that. Um, 
you know, the story, the story to the stepdad, every single one of these has really touched my heart. You're so funny. And You're I plugging think- my work on Nobody Reads Short Stories. You are hilarious. We're plugging you now, Bonnie, but thank you. I love you for reading, reading them. Um, I love you for being on the show. You're always going to be one of our first. Um, when you when you have something else, you need to send it to us. Um, listeners, keep following Bonnie. She's going to be doing amazing things. And she also has a newsletter that um, I'll put the link for that, but you can subscribe and find out what she's doing with her writing process. I think she updates it weekly, right? Weekly. And actually, a lot of what we've been talking about with the universe of the Aliyah War universe, that's, that's really what the newsletter has been, what I've been um, going over in the newsletter lately. So that would be it a good time to follow up and it's it's you know i really appreciate it. thank you so much for inviting high five bonnie take care <laughs> all right so that's it for tonight we hope you enjoyed the story and interview by bonnie milani join us next week for the hired baby by marie corelli i really love this story marie corelli was one of the most successful authors of the early 1900s in fact she sold more books than all her male contemporaries combined If you haven't already, make sure to like and subscribe to us on YouTube. For podcast listeners, this will also be available on Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher. No one reads short stories anymore. I really don't know what they're written for. Go write a short story and throw it out the door. Cause no one reads short stories Funny, sad, or gory No one reads short stories anymore Yes, no one reads short stories